Good evening. As I was leaving uh, two weeks ago, a friend handed me a sheet that described a survey uh, that had been conducted. And the question in the survey was if you were on a desert, deserted island and you could only bring three things, what would you bring? And the response of an overwhelming number of people was food, water, and access to the internet. So that's what I'm going to talk about tonight. <laughs> what we should bring to deserted islands. The truth is, uh, we humans have an unquenchable thirst for communing, connecting, belonging. It's as deep as our thirst go. And when we feel that, that longing to connect or belong, and we feel it directly, that's what I call prayer, when we're feeling that longing. So tonight I'd actually like to explore with you some about prayer and how it fits in in our path, this, this longing to belong. And it's, I always am feeling grateful when I get to talk about something that's completely up for me, because I'm in a mode right now of lots of prayer. And it's been increasing over the last few years. I find, as many people do, that when I'm in a more vulnerable uh, state of mind, it amps up. You know, the more there's fear or wanting, the more there's this sense of longing. And the prayer isn't for something. Many of you know that my dad's been sick, and it's, it's not specifically that he recover in a certain way, but rather that what's happening awakens love, awakens our hearts and minds, that he, as Stephen Levine describes it, healing into life and death. It's that healing into wholeness. That's my prayer most of the time is, may this too serve to awaken. But remembering that's not so quick and easy, because what I and we all do is have all sorts of um, more superficial prayers, if we'll call them that, wantings and fearings that we um, hang out in. The word spiritual is... Uh, misleading, I think. You know, we're talking about what's a spiritual prayer? What's a spiritual life? It connotes or it indicates that there's not spiritual stuff, whereas really spirit is that animating life force. It's, it's everywhere. Thomas Merton writes, life is this simple. We are living in a world that is absolutely transparent and the divine is shining through it all the time. This is not just a nice story or a fable. This is true. This prayer, this longing, is that we can really see that, that we can belong to that invisible divine this moment as we sit here and as we're driving home and as we're engaging with children or spouses or turning on a TV or whatever we're doing, that we, 
cultivate the eyes to see. Now in every spiritual tradition, there are practices to help us to do that, to belong this moment to what's sacred. That's what a spiritual path is. It's not to become someone different or to have some altered state experience with crystal rainbows in the sky and flashing lights. It's to become more real, to belong to our hearts and our bodies and each other. Um, Last weekend, a number of us here attended a Native American sweat lodge. We've been announcing it. I know you know about it. And it was a wonderful experience in belonging. The way it's designed and the Native Americans really teach belonging through belonging to the natural world is this uh, experience of being in heat and in the elements and sitting on the earth and belonging to all of that chanting, belonging to the sound. And then there's a prayer round, which is really simply the deepening of that experience by expressing it. And as I was listening to the prayers, they had two distinct forms. And some of them were the prayer, uh, in some way, may I or someone else uh, wake up, connect, be healed, be whole, be happy. So they were the kind of supplication. And the other kind of prayer was the gratitude prayers, the appreciation for this incredibly beautiful, mysterious earth, and the gratitude to be able to sit in a circle with people that cared, and the gratitude that our hearts are waking up. And these are kind of the two ways that prayer, I think, get expressed as either a please or a thank you. Do you know what I mean? Please, may I awaken and thank you for this mysterious, beautiful life. Webster's Dictionary agrees, by the way, with that. (laughs) I'll read you a description. It says, prayer is the supplication or expression addressed to God. Now we have to translate a little because of the loaded connotations. But in some way, prayer is a communing. It's a communing with spirit or essence. One woman writer that I really love describes it as just the God within her dialoguing with that spirit within her. It's kind of an inner dialogue. Some questions come up, though, around prayer that I think are really uh, important ones to explore. One of them is, and this is because prayer is not often understood as part of the Buddhist path or the path of mindfulness or awakening. It's seen maybe somewhat as devotion is, as being wrapped in ritual and maybe blinding versus uh, waking us up. So one question that comes up is, if we're trying to be free of desire, doesn't praying kind of amplify our sense of desiring? Another question, 
in good Buddhist form is, well, if there's no self, who's praying and who are you praying to, you know? My sense of uh, prayer is that it is dualistic. It does have that presumption of uh, praying to something. Although in the New Testament, it's described as praying in the Holy Spirit, not to the Holy Spirit, which I think is quite interesting. The effect of prayer is to reconnect us with the spirit within. But sometimes we don't start there because we live so much in a dualistic reality. You know, it's, it's part of our culture's myth, how we live, that um, early on we got thrown out of the garden. That's severed belonging. We got thrown out and then the rest of the time we've been trying to find our way home. So it's really in our psyches. It's part of how we experience life to be separate. And it's not a mistake. You know, I think sometimes that's another misunderstanding of Buddhism, that we think we're a separate self and that is a mistake that makes us kind of bad or ignorant, but it has a real um, diminishing quality to it. it. It's part of our biological makeup to sense ourselves as separate and our psychological makeup. And it's part of our capacity to begin to see that and out of our yearning to connect, wake up out of that identification. But what we have each day can for many feel like a predicament because most of us have touched the sense of really belonging, belonging to a moment where we've just let go of all our preoccupations or belonging in nature and feeling the wonder and the mystery or belonging with another being and feeling the kind of connectedness that the sense of separate self drops away. Most of us have touched that and cherish it. And daily, and I mean daily, we find ourselves living in this story that our minds keep on producing about who we are as a narrow and a separate self that's trying to do this and afraid of that and um, wanting people to appreciate us and see us a certain way. We get caught in that every single day, living in these stories about who we are and who others are. The biggest part of our story is the sense that something's missing. Either we're deficient, something's missing in who I am, or something's missing right now in the moment. I'm kind of waiting for something else to happen, for the next moment to contain what this moment does not. So we kind of go around in this story of leaning into the future to get something else. It's part of our longing to belong, this sense of absence and this yearning for completion. It's not a bad thing, but it's, a, it's an experience that requires mindfulness if we're, supposed, if we're really going to wake up. I've been 
very affected by a book by John O'Donohue called Eternal Echoes. And it has to do with the longing to belong. And he offers a question I think is quite beautiful, and you can reflect on that. While we are here, where is it that we are absent from? While we are here, right now, where, we, where is it that we're absent from? What's missing? So I'd like to invite you as the first part of this kind of meditation together on prayer, just to sense, is there something missing right now? Is anything missing? What many of us find is that we can say, no, there's, it's all just here now. But very quickly the conditioning wraps us in this sense of, of longing, of wanting something more. So prayer is becoming mindful of that longing. Prayer is becoming uh, able to recognize when it's behind the lines or under the surface. Now, Prayer is a kind of meditation. It's paying attention. It's paying attention to our deepest aspiration. And as with meditation, there can be um, immature kinds of praying, and there can be more awake or mature kinds of praying. For instance, you know, the prayer, Dear God, may I win the lottery, or, you know, may I lose that 20 pounds, or may this person pay attention to me, you know. That's, it comes from the deep longing, but it's contracted with fear and confusion. But I like thinking of it as a prayer. I didn't used to do this, but I like thinking of wanting mine in terms of prayer because it comes from the same source. And the more we can recognize that, the more we'll pay attention with a a gentleness and a presence that allows us to return to that source. So if our preoccupation is something superficial, let's say we're preoccupied with having somebody that we very much admire um, respect us and we want to do a good job on something, to not just go, okay, wanting mind, comparing mind, aversion, fear, but but to sense that underneath that we're longing to belong. To be able to find our way down to that deep quality of longing is what frees us. Immature prayers are prayers where we've latched on to kind of false comforts, where we think something's going to help that really can't help. We think something's going to make the difference when we get that degree, or make a certain amount of money, or find the right partner. So we get hooked on these uh, false belongings, as John O'Donohue puts it. And our culture hijacks us in that way. We get trained in to uh, get hooked on prayers that are not as deep as our, the depth of our yearning really goes. 
Now, the preoccupation with those prayers, it's not that that's a problem in, the, in itself that we all get hooked. It's that we get preoccupied. So our life energy starts circling around wants that are less than our deepest aspiration. It's interesting. If we really pay attention, we'll find wanting are the flip side of wanting, fear, in our bodies a lot. And if we really pay attention to fear and say, okay, what matters here? Eventually, what we'll find is that we want to belong, that we want to be able to stay present and allow and include so that we don't leave ourselves in our life. But we don't go to that level frequently, this yearning to commune, to be connected. I think the internet's so interesting in a way because it's this modern form that satisfies some levels of that prayer. Do you know what I mean? There's this, this sense of being more linked in. It can, get, it can be very much a false belonging because linked in for the purpose of getting money or you know, some form of acquisition or whatever, self-promo. Or it can be a deeper level of prayer where this linked-in feeling lets us know what's going on in the world and feel more of a sense of compassion. Making links. This is in the theme of making links. Um, the Washington Post runs some contests. Some of you might be following it. And in one of the contests, it was very interesting. They asked people to take two authors and link them together and then write something on what they wrote. So this is kind of establishing communications between different authors. And i just like to read you a few that I found. Machiavelli's The Little Prince. Saint Antoine de Saint-Exupéry's classic children's tale as presented by Machiavelli. The whimsy of human nature is embodied in many delightful and intriguing characters, all of whom are executed. <laughs> now here was the first runner-up. Green Eggs and Hamlet. <laughs> Listen to this. Would you kill him in his bed? Thrust a dagger through his head? I would not, could not kill the king. I could not do that evil thing. I would not wed this girl you see. Now get her to a nunnery. <laughs> Isn't that great? 2001, a space Iliad. The HAL 9000 computer wages an insane 10-year war against the Greeks after falling victim to the Y2K bug. Curious George, father. The monkey finally sticks his nose where it don't belong. I'll just read you one more. Jane Eyre Jordan. Plucky English orphan girl survives hardships to lead the Chicago Bulls to the NBA championship. We attach ourselves sometimes to the wrong things, only insofar as they don't bring us a genuine sense of connectedness or belonging. And each of us does this in our life. Uh, a story I'd like to share with you, one of the uh, retreatants, people that came to a retreat last round down at Seven Oaks, and that some of you know this, um, had to leave after a day or two. And he had to leave because his mother was being honored at an awards dinner. She was involved with an agency that helps children. And 
So he was, um, had to attend, and he was very um, frustrated that he had to leave the retreat, but he was a dutiful son. So he went up to this award ceremony, and there were a number of people being honored, but his mother seemed to try to monopolize things, and she went on and on about her achievements in life, about all that she had done for this agency. And, it, and he felt this sense of incredible embarrassment because it was inappropriate. And she went on and on. And his embarrassment turned to rage when she started including in her what he felt was bragging, bragging about him and where he went to school. And so he was in a total rage. And then at the very end, she stopped and she said, to the group, I want to thank you so much for letting me belong. And his rage vanished. It was replaced by this kind of deep sadness that he began to understand that through his whole life she had organized her life around belonging, having to accomplish X, Y, and Z, and that he was part of her belonging project. He wasn't just him, her son. He was part of that project and that he had internalized it so that many of his moments were wrapped around how to be a good self. How to be a good self. And and we do this. We have ideas about who we should be. We all do. And they have standards to them of how we should look, how we should feel, how we should behave. And to the extent that we spend our moments trying to conform to that, we're not belonging to our being. We're not belonging to just what's happening here. We try to avoid exposure about what's not right inside, because most of us have some feeling of something's wrong with me. We try to avoid exposure, and then that makes us feel even less authentic, less like we belong. It's impossible to feel intimate with someone if you feel that in some way you're covering something that you'd get rejected for. I read this in a paper somewhere, Have you ever heard the story about a driver who put a note under the windshield wiper of a parked car? The note read, I've just smashed into your car. The people who saw the accident are watching me. They think I'm writing down my name and address. I'm not. (laughs) How much do we do for the sake of how others are viewing us? It's interesting when you think of a person and ask yourself, how do I want them to perceive me? And realize how much of your being is uh, strategizing around being that way. And then the bigger question, what am I afraid they're going to see? We do a lot. So this pretending, some of you know this line that dying begins at birth and it accelerates at dinner parties. (laughs) What I realized is that's not so true about potlucks. (laughs) Now think of it. 
at potlucks, there's more participation in some way in the give-take or the sharing. So our role is a little different. Maybe not a whole lot different, but I just thought I'd bring that up. <laughs> so what happens in our culture? We have a culture that makes us want, that we want to belong, we want to succeed, and we're given certain designated hoops that most of us you know, feel like we should be jumping through and so far as how we look and how we behave and so on. And so throughout school and throughout our affiliations and our professional life, even religious practice, spiritual pursuits, there's this undercurrent, this fear of I'm not doing it right or I'm going to do something wrong and therefore not really belong. I know that uh, a couple of weeks ago I went out to the Bhavana Society, which is a wonderful, beautiful monastery in West Virginia. And I had a wonderful time there, but I did notice that at lunchtime there's a lot of rules around food there where you sit, when you go get your food, when you sit down, when you eat it, when the monks do, the order that the monks go get their food in. And so I noticed that I was kind of tied up in knots with this sense of, am I going to know what to do when? Am I going to know when I'm supposed to go up and get food? Is somebody going to elbow me? And there was this sense of really, in this beautiful meditative place, that I was going to embarrass myself and do something wrong. A boy was at scouts camp, and there was um, an overnight. There was a camp out. And um, the director came and did an inspection of what everyone brought, and he found inside this boy's bedroll an umbrella. This is the boy's first, he's a young scout, his first year. And so the director said, you know, an umbrella was not listed as a necessary item. And he asked the boy to explain, and the boy said, sir, did you ever have a mother? <laughs> Mothers get more and more embarrassing as kids get older. <laughs> so, basic to this sense of not belonging, the Buddha described our basic suffering as one of separateness. Right from the start, if we feel separate, we're going to get lost in this, this swirl of wanting it to be different and fearing it won't be. And the more fear there is, the more we get locked in. The more deeply there's a sense of severed belonging, the more we end up violating this self that we don't appreciate in others. To not belong is... It's another word for shame. It's the deepest sense of, of being defective in some way. And it's an ego death. We need to belong. When it gets really bad and there's violence, it starts becoming clear that in our culture, unless we find a way to foster belonging, it's only going to increase. And I remember that after the Columbine um, violence, William Raspberry wrote an editorial, and I just want to read you a couple of paragraphs because I thought it was so good. He talked about the subtle lesson. He says, it's the sad fact that there are people who, for too many of us, and often for themselves, don't matter. There are people in our schools, in our offices, on our streets, 
who know they don't matter to the rest of us, who exist, if at all, as objects of ridicule and derision, as nerds and ne'er-do-wells and nobodies, as fatties, shorties, blackies, as crisps, free lunchers and dummies. Probably all of us spend some portion of our lives not mattering, though most of us have refuge in places, home, workplace, church, or social group, where we matter more or less. But some of us have no such refuge apart from our fellow non-matterers. And of that sad group, some will make sure they matter in the time-tested way of mattering, through violence. Mother Teresa says, the biggest disease today is not leprosy or tuberculosis, but rather the feeling of being unwanted. So for most of us, it's an undercurrent, this wanting to be wanted, wanting to belong, this tendency to lock onto false approaches to belonging that don't really work. When we do that, when we latch on to these kind of narrow roles and so on, what we do is we neglect the immensity of our being. We, we don't find out who we really are. This is why our practice is to see and let go and see and let go, because what we get to let go into is an immensity a connectedness, a belonging, which is what we really long for. But first we have to let go of the false ways we find safety and comfort. It can't be found through conceptual mind, this immensity, what Merton describes as this invisible divine. And because we spend a whole lot of time thinking, the first part of genuine prayer to really follow the longing down to the source, is to relax out of conceptual mind. Now again, I'd like to invite you to reflect on the question, is anything missing this moment? To ask yourself that, but then allow yourself to explore that question in the temple of the senses, in your body. Is anything missing this moment? Prayer is not an uttering of phrases. It starts with a deep listening. We're listening to see what matters and what's true. Listening with our bodies. In a sense, it's like the breathing in of the breath cycle. To deepen belonging, we breathe in and listen, receptive to what is. Is there anything missing? And then we're just opening to what is. If there's a feeling of something missing, of wanting, then to be with that. John O'Donohue says, prayer is the stillness of pure attention. Wisdom of your clay, these bodies, 
these earth bodies. This listening is the beginning of a communion with the life that's within and around us. I'd like to read to you again a description of prayer that I found touching. One of the most tender images is a human person at prayer, John O'Donohue again. When the body gathers itself before the divine, a stillness deepens. The blaring din of distraction ceases, and the deeper tranquility within the heart envelops the body. To see people at prayer is a touching sight. For a while they have become unmoored from the grip of society, work, and role. It is as if they have chosen to enter into a secret belonging carried within the soul. They rest in that inner temple, impervious to outer control or claiming. The human body, gathered in prayer, mirrors our fragility, and it makes a statement of recognition of the divine generosity that is always blessing us. To be gathered in prayer is appropriate. It is a gracious, reverential, and receptive gesture. It states that at the threshold of each moment, the gifts of breath and blessing come across to embrace us. Prayer is feeling that longing and by feeling it deeply, discovering belonging. One of the ways that I understand uh, prayer is that it's always happening, that when we move through our day, somewhere deep down there's this longing to connect, to be present, but because it gets latched onto things, we don't know that we're in prayer, or we're in a kind of grasping type of prayer. Prayer is, um, comes from the invisible world, the world of soul and spirit and heart, and so when we attach too many words to it, you know, say our prayers with words that we repeat again and again, it can lose its life, its vitality. One writer says, make a clearance in the thicket of thoughts so that we can feel the source of our prayer. Again, I'd like to invite you to go within if you want to stretch your legs for a moment and then sit. And as you come back sitting, let yourself establish a very embodied presence by noticing the sensations of your body self, by loosening in the belly so that the breath can be full. Feeling into the heart, feeling into feeling, 
and sense this moment, what do I long for? What do I long for this moment? Gently feel into the response. You can ask the question again and again, and then just listen with your heart. What do I most long for this moment? If there's fear, what's the longing around this fear? What most matters? We discover who we are when we discover what most matters. Breathing in and feeling what we long for, what we fear. Breathing out and let that be the expression, the acknowledging, the honoring of longing. This breathing out can sometimes be done through words that express what we long for. But under the words is that invisible experience of the soul, what really cares. So first we connect with the sense of yearning, then we let it be fully, mindfully felt and expressed. What do I most long for this moment? How can I belong to this moment? The more vulnerable we feel, the more intense the separation, the more intense the longing and fear can be. It can latch on to, I want this to go away. It can latch on to wanting and fearing in smaller ways. And our practice is just to stay with our experience. Touching our deepest longing is the bridge to belonging. This is a guided practice of prayer from John O'Donohue again. Even though the body may kneel, or words may be said or chanted, the heart of prayer activity is invisible. Normally, when we look at something with our eyes, we see it as color or shape with limits. In prayer, we see with the eye of the soul. We see in a creative and healing way. A lovely way to pray is to engage this light of the invisible world. Because the body is in the soul, or the Buddhists would say, all is in mind, all around your body there is an embrace of subtle soul light, the radiance of being. 
When you pray with your breath, you can breathe this soul light into the deepest recesses of your clay body. So for a moment, feel and sense this world you belong to and the invisible world that we don't see in a limited way, but sense with our hearts. So that as you breathe in, you can feel yourself breathing deep, deep into your being, this radiance, this luminosity. In the mythical story of the Buddha, and you can keep meditating or open your eyes, whichever you prefer, the morning of his enlightenment, um, he had the posture of a very famous mudra of touching the earth and touching his heart. The story goes that he touched the earth to call on the earth goddess. This was the Buddha's prayer to be, be present, bear witness. And it was this final prayer that actually freed him fully from all the forces of greed and hatred and anger and reactivity. And I think this posture is a very beautiful one, and I'd just like to have you check it out, of just touching your heart and touching something, the floor, your cushion, but something that's by you. And as you meditate, Sense that as you breathe in, you can feel with when you tu- what you're touching, that you're touching this world that you belong to. And sense the world you belong to, as you just did, breathing in and sensing this whole invisible realm of wakefulness, the love that moves through, is suffused this whole life, the invisible connectedness that we forget. Feel as you touch the floor that there's earth and there's sky and there's sounds and there's life and you belong to all of that. For some, the image of a bodhisattva that represents that love and that wisdom that we belong to can be a beautiful way to enhance the sense of being held. And then sensing where your hand is on your heart, the vulnerability, the longing of our hearts, and that it's held in this world, that the trees and the sky and the love that's really boundless can hold this vulnerability. Whatever you're feeling in your heart, let it be held by the divine invisible that you belong to. Whatever, if you're noticing fear or doubt, our longing, our sleepiness, this too belongs 
This too belongs to the divine, to the invisible. Relaxing your hands down. Just a few more things before we close. It becomes clear as we go deeper and deeper into prayer that there's not a separate self praying to some divine bodhisattva out there. We might start off by invoking an image or a sense of, of light or energy out there, but the very nature of our being belongs to it all. So as soon as we invoke it, we rediscover that's who we are. The divine invisible's not out there. Spirit is not out there. It is your nature. So prayer starts out dualistic, but brings us back to that very deep sense of belonging. And because we belong, our prayer is not only for what we perceive as ourself. We naturally include others in our prayer. And although that sounds like dualistic language, it's the nature of things that who we experience and what we experience gets included in our hearts. John O'Donohue describes a, how we each have a circle of very close beings that are in our soul care. I just thought that was a lovely concept. It's not that we don't love everybody. We, as we open, our, our love is extended to all beings, but just karmically there's certain people we're more actively involved with. And to have a sense that these beings are in our soul care, that we offer prayer to them very intentionally and feel our belonging with them, it creates a real natural generosity or overflowing in the heart. I have a friend whose mother, very religious woman, spent probably an hour, an hour and a half a day with her circle, <laughs> she had a big circle, of who was in her soul care. And um, there was something very authentically real. You felt she carried in her heart these beings. And we find that the more we pray in this genuine way, there's no way to be lonely because it brings up such a sense of connectedness. When you bring to mind either your inner vulnerable self or somebody else, and from your deepest heart pray for awakening, for peace, whatever language you use, you connect. And there's no loneliness. There's just a generous, overflowing heart. I've been using the word prayer instead of meditation, and just in case there's any confusion, prayer is part of meditation. It's the meditation on our aspiration, on our longing, and our longing is at the core of our being. So to wake up is to see this longing and to feel it fully, mindfully, and honor it. When we do that, it carries us into belonging. There's a poem by Fernando Pessoa that I wanted to read. It says, To be great, be entire. To
to be great, be entire. Of what is yours, nothing exaggerate or exclude. Be whole in each thing. Put all that you are into the least you do. Like that on each place the whole moon shines, for she lives aloft. Put all that you are into the least that you do. Our deepest longing is to belong fully to this life, to be fully alive. And our practice of prayer frees us to engage this moment and then the next and the next with our whole being, to be a participant, not an observer. Our practice is to become more and more faithful to our deepest longing. And that means we're choosing some. You know, we have these superficial longings to get this and not have that. And to be faithful to our deepest longings means that we again and again recognize that and then get still and listen to our hearts and ask, what really matters? Again and again, what really matters? And in a way, that's our commitment, is to care more about the depth of our longing than our conditioned way of grabbing on. It means being willing to, to let go of our thoughts and come into the temple of our senses. It means being willing when another person's talking to put down our busyness and really listen. It means when pain arises, that in some place we're willing to say, yes, I'll be with this. It's belonging to what is true now. So let's end with a short meditation, if you will. with a listening kind of attention. Just listen to what's true in you. Sensing what matters, sensing your prayer for your own inner being. And feeling that prayer with your heart. What's your prayer for this life? for this moment. Bringing to mind somebody that's dear to you that can use your prayer. And let your heart listen and feel who they are, what's true for them, their vulnerability, their longing, their fear. And what's the deepest prayer you have for that being? You can offer it inwardly in words or images or just that invisible, energetic experience of caring.
bringing another being to light, to your mind. Sensing your belonging with that being and your prayer for that being. Wherever we open in prayer, we discover belonging. The deeper the attention and the stillness, the deeper the circle of belonging becomes. Life is this simple. We are living in a world that is absolutely transparent and the divine is shining through it all the time. This is not just a nice story or fable. This is true. The divine is vibrating through your being, through all of us, and we're connected in that divine, in that beloved energy. In the Buddhist tradition, in the Hindu tradition, in many traditions, this experience of connectedness of heart um, is cultivated through chanting, which is another form of prayer. So we'll close tonight with chanting. The mantra that we'll be chanting is Om Namah Shivaya. It's what was being played as you came in tonight. Om is infinite. Namah, I bow, I honor. Shivaya, arising, dissolving, creation. This is a bowing to life, sensing our care, our devotedness to all of life.
our prayers open us to the truth of who we really are, to the love of our hearts, the wisdom of our minds. And may our prayers be of benefit to all beings, bring connectedness and peace. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.